Welcome to the Who Dish Show podcast. I'm Liz Comos. This show features conversations with performers from the mental health, chronic illness, and disability communities. We're digging into who they are and how their health intersects with their art. Today's guest on the podcast is Morgan Van Dyne. Morgan is a comedian and musical theater actor who grew up on a hog farm in South Texas. I am so, so excited to have them on the podcast. Thank you for being here, Morgan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. On the Hootis podcast, we explore the intersection of art and health. So before we get too deep into it, I was wondering if you would share with our listeners a little bit about how you relate to the health community, more specifically, whether it be a chronic illness, a mental health condition, or a disability. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a chronic illness called relapsing polychondritis. Mm. Mm, fancy. <laughs> Basically, my body thinks my cartilage is for material. It's trying mm. to reject it. So it's super painful. Yeah, that sounds um, painful. Yeah. And I also have bipolar disorder. Oh, so cool. we a whole mess. Oh, we a whole mess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you, this is kind of an aside, but how do you manage your pain day to day? It's something that I experience mm. and I know that it can be such a drawn out process trying to figure out how, how to manage it. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I genuinely, like, when I have a thing to do, like, it's the only thing I do that day. Yep. And it's just mm-hmm. sleeping until I get there. Yeah. Because there's not really, like, a good, like, like you know, I don't want to be on pain pills because no. you, then you, like, don't have your mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Honestly, there's not, like, there's not anything that's, like, solved it, you know? No, it's no. just, like... Yeah, and you weirdly do get like used to it. Like you do, yeah. you become accustomed to. You pain. do. You're just like I don't know this if you is have it is. <laughs> this experience though. When something, when you have a new pain, or the mm-hmm. pain is like you wake up one day and it's worse than it normally is. Mm-hmm. My alarm bells go off so loud that I'm like something is terribly wrong. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think that's like a especially in like you know like chronic illness and chronic pain. Like that's a that's. A common thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I see other people, like, I'm in a support group. Sure. And other people, like, they'll post in there and be like, uh, my elbows have never hurt before. Yeah. What's going <laughs> on? Do hurt? I go to yeah. the ER? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> I, I instituted a two-week rule for myself that if something hurts <laughs> consistently for two weeks, then I will go to the doctor. Nice. Unless it's very alarming and it's right. like, this is an acute emergency. Sure. But, yeah, I decided that it because it, I went through a period where I was driving me, I was driving myself to the doctor and driving me just, like, wild always worrying about like why things were hurting yep, definitely. yeah definitely especially when I like first got sick it was yeah. like every time a new thing happened I was like uh, so <laughs> when were you diagnosed was it uh, uh, so like a year and a half ago oh okay yeah I've been yeah. sick for probably like two and a half years sure yeah but uh, yeah I finally got a diagnosis like a year and, on April 10th how did that feel uh it was good to because like for so long I had doctors tell me like there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. and like tried to get me to up my antidepressants, um, especially made it difficult to get a diagnosis because I already had bipolar on my records. Mm-hmm. So I got so much like, oh, you're drug seeking or like yep. you're, you like you're not mentally well and you're it's manifesting like in pain. And yeah. I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a big relief to be like, oh, my God, now I can like walk into a doctor's office with a diagnosis and, and people say, won't be like. Yeah, feel legitimate. Yeah. 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 
I remember one time um, before I was diagnosed with one of my most recent conditions, I went into my doctor's office and I was crying. I just started bawling. I was like, I can't handle this. Like, I can't cope. I don't know what's going on. And I ended up, um, he ended up writing down in my chart that I had a mood disorder, not otherwise specified, and then sent me to therapy. And I've been in therapy my entire life. And so uh, after seeing that therapist for about a year, I was like, you know, my doctor had given me this diagnosis. Do I have a mood disorder? And she was like, no. Oh, my gosh. You don't. It's She's so like, irritating. Your body is struggling, and you were struggling, and you were so, fa- like, fatigued that you just could like, you can't sometimes control the emotional state when yeah. your body is so completely worn out. So I don't know how to get that taken off my medical record, oh, but it's something so that follows me. Yeah. And I'm always like, okay, well, all these people think that I have a mood disorder. And, yes, I struggle with depression sometimes and sure. anxiety, but, no, I don't have, like, a, a yeah. diagnostic mood disorder. Yeah. yeah, I get that like so much. Like I, I haven't really had a problem with bipolar in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I've been medicated for years, sure, and yeah. it, like I'm lucky that it that works for me, yeah. and I'm very stable. Totally. But it's still always something that like anytime I have a new doctor, they're like, "Oh, so you have bipolar?" Right, and, like, and they make assumptions. Dude, come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's unfortunate, and that's something. Hopefully, this podcast will help <laughs> yeah. remediate for some people is is those uh, like stigmas and assumptions that people make, and just forgetting that like we're, we're all humans and we're relatable yeah. and yeah. Yes. yeah cool well thank you for being here and for sharing that i yeah. know it can be vulnerable to talk about our conditions um the next question is what kind of artist are you and how did you first become interested in life as a creative Ooh, what kind of artist am i yeah man i started off doing like theater i guess um i don't guess i did but <laughs> <laughs> uh, i started off doing theater and dance i was actually a dance major in college oh, wow, cool. um did i did not graduate from but whatever <laughs> um and I think I, I've always definitely been like, I don't know, had like a subconscious goal of being like the funniest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Like that was always like my thing. Be like, yeah. Do you know Morgan? Oh, yeah, they're so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's just like a natural progression from theater into comedy. And then for the last few years has been like mostly stand up, which is super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since I have like between bipolar and being chronically ill, there's a whole lot to talk about. So much. Yeah. That's why we. <laughs> need more stage time I yeah, think. Like, right? when I think of the people I know that have chronic illnesses and disabilities and mental health conditions like we've had these really wild experiences that <laughs> other people don't have <laughs> and they're funny yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. and I think it's really fun to talk about those things specifically on stage like I have material that's about other things but mm-hmm. I always I think I get like the most enjoyment out of talking about like mental and physical illness because uh, if you can get other people to laugh about it I feel like that helps relieve a little bit of like stigma in in their mind totally like oh like they have like a normal life even though like yeah. It's harder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I think that's very true in that it's connection. Like, I think the moment that you make someone laugh, they connect to you in some way. They bond a little bit mm-hmm. to your, your experience. Mm-hmm. And it does break down the that wall of uh, preciousness. Like, oh, you're mm-hmm. sick. And I go, oh, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, I can't talk about it. Yes. Like, what's going on? Uh, and I, it does. It breaks down that wall. And I think it touches people's truth that they realize they can relate to you. Yes. And I would hope 
I think one thing I've been, that's been on my mind the last couple of days is how scared are people of being around people who are sick because yeah. they don't want to hear about it. They don't know what to say or they're like I've, it d- touches their own mortality and, and yes. physical ability. And I think that when you can make people laugh in that arena about health and, and mental health specifically, it's less scary. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, but I look normal. Mm-hmm. But then like at any time I have some kind of physical indication, mm-hmm. like the first time a new friend sees the physical indication of it, oh, yeah. I, I see like the like fear wash over oh, them, you know, sure. and just just like a little bit of like a tonal change in how they'll talk to me about mm-hmm. being sick. Yeah. You know? It's like it makes it real for them, and that it's the worst. It's the actual mm-hmm. worst when it you can is. see someone go, "Oh, mm-hmm. you're like really I'm sick." Like, this, is, this is not fair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, I will talk to people about how I have trouble walking sometimes, and I've been doing pretty good. I want to give a, a shout out to the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. I went and did their pain management program, mm-hmm. and it was like an intensive eight hours a day for four wow. weeks, and we like worked on all this stuff, physical therapy, everything, and it gave me a new take on my body and what I can and can't do and how to manage my body throughout the day so that I don't like burn out because that would be my cycle. I'd be like, oh, I've got energy and I'd burn through it. Um, So I haven't had a bad day in a while because of them in this program. I got a new job and it wore me out. And I had to go to a rehearsal with both of my crutches. I couldn't get up and improvise. I had to sit throughout the whole thing. And I saw all of them just like it did. It was like the weight of it hit them where they're like, this is what Liz is talking about when she says she's having a bad day. Mm -hmm. And normally I just stay home Mm -hmm. so you don't see it because I don't want to go out like that. I hate the way that looks. I hate the way that feels. But they saw it because I was like, I had to run rehearsal. Like everyone has to see this now. And yeah, it's a weird feeling for other people to realize like the weight and gravity of what you have going on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that like so hard. Like right now I have like stitches and bandages all over Uh my back. And it's just like, yeah, I was like avoiding hanging out with people or like being in public or like we just finished a musical and I like didn't. I usually like, you know, in like theater, like you just everyone changes in front of everybody. But I was like, I don't want people to like see this. So I like it was very out of character for me to like go find a place to hide to change, you know. Yeah. But it just yeah, you can see a shift in people. When it becomes real for them. (laughs) Yeah. So that was something that I was thinking about in terms of access, that changing rooms and all of that are an accessibility need that maybe people don't always think about is having a private space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Body dysmorphia. Yeah. (laughs) That's uh, another point of uh, to talk about in terms of being a performer. I know in acting, you're you so much connected to your body and the way your body moves and works. Have you ever had moments of body dysmorphia or just not really understanding the way that your body works or disconnection from it, whether that be because of pain or I don't know. Sometimes I think when we have these chronic conditions, we purposefully disconnect from our bodies Mm -hmm. to escape them. Yeah, Uh, I definitely think I wouldn't say I've had any like major dysmorphia problems, but I would say like a being a dancer my whole life and then suddenly being like in so much pain and having so much change internally that I can't dance the way I used to. It's really weird to see now. Like I just finished a musical and we got video of us dancing and I was like, man, like I used to be so good. Oh, and like, yeah. But I can see myself in pain in mm-hmm. it now. That really Oof. like sucks to watch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I definitely like 
disconnect from my body. I even, I'll talk about it separately all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel fine, but I'm so tired of living in this body. Like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. I do feel like. I feel separate from what I live in. Yeah, that your soul is. Yes, I have always wanted to get this tattoo that says, Il corpo è solo un vaso in Italian, which means the body is just a vessel. Yeah. Because I really feel that way, that my body is just the vehicle Mm -hmm. to get me from point A to point B. And I am a completely separate entity from that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that big time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So back to your career and comedy Mm -hmm. and performing. Are there any standout moments for you as a comedian in times that you felt like you unlocked a barrier, whether that be the first time you went up and did stand up or the first time that you talked about your health in your work or the first time that somebody laughed at a joke about your (laughs) health? You know, so any of those things that are like big moments that you remember sticking out for you. Yeah. So I tried to write stand up for like, two years before mm-hmm. I ever was like, okay, I can say this in front of people. Like, I don't know what it was. It's just like that particular format was so hard for my brain. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I was trying to write in a really like structured way. And now I do stand up and it's in like more of a like almost storytelling with punchlines cool. kind yeah. of way. Um, but I I think the moment that I realized like, oh, I, I like can do stand up. I was like sitting with my friends in the kitchen and just like half venting and like, but like deflecting a little bit. So it was like funny and talking about like being in the psych ward yeah. and they were dying laughing and I was like oh people can like handle this people, <laughs> people can like <laughs> listen to me talk about the worst time of my life but it was so funny it was like such a funny experience oh yeah like s- funny stuff happens in the psych ward oh, as yeah. I'm sure you can imagine yeah <laughs> so yeah that was like uh, yep. a total moment like just I re- like remember that day so clearly just sitting in the kitchen with them and they're like dying laughing while I talk about the worst week of my life mm-hmm. and I was like this is amazing I can't <laughs> wait to do this for an audience <laughs> that's so cool yeah. I love that that was inspiration it's like okay my friends can do this I can do I can try this now yeah. in front of an audience and see what happens yeah uh, opposite to that, what are some of the challenges you found being a performer with a chronic health condition? Definitely not knowing how I'm going to feel the day of a gig mm-hmm. is a huge one. And it's impossible to explain to someone who hasn't been through something like that. You know, of like, no, I, I know how I look, but I literally can't walk today. Like, mm-hmm. It's not possible. <laughs> I can't come. That's really difficult. I also have to sometimes, like the last time I did stand up about my illness I literally prefaced like I told a couple jokes and it was like I kept getting oh instead of laughs you mm-hmm. know and I so I literally stopped and was like look I don't need you to be sympathetic to me like yeah I know it's rough but I'm here to make fun of it and we're gonna laugh about it and like after that it, it went a lot smoother and people did laugh which yeah. thank goodness because I was like I don't know if this is going to come off as like mean or like yeah. like I'm shaming the audience <laughs> yeah. for feeling bad for me. But I feel like it does help sometimes to like call people out and be like, I don't need you to be sad for me. Yeah, I'm that's not, not up what here this venting. is about. Yeah. 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 I did that. Uh, we got to the Hootis like house team. Um, mm-hmm. Josh Lovey and Simon Collier and I opened up for Hear the Musical a couple months yeah. ago. 
And I got to intro like what who this is and why I'm doing it. And people were doing that. And I was like, that's not what this is about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the is... worst thing when you're like, here we are to have fun. And people are like, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, that's not like this isn't a moment for you to have to feel empathy or or be inspired by me yeah. or whatever. Ooh, I just, that's the worst. Thing. Yeah, I know that oh inspiration gosh, porn. So we'll talk about that all the time on this <laughs> podcast. <is> inspiration <laughs> porn. It's so dumb. I think there was a time in place for us to inspire sure. and be inspiring but when that's all it is or people I think what it is if they invalidate your talent uh, just as a human who's talented for the inspiration aspect of it like that you're only that talented because of your illness or disability or I only like your talent because of your mm-hmm. illness and disability it makes me think of when I was like a little kid and I would I used to like do talent shows or something and I would sing and people would just be like you're so cute yes and that's what like, it feels what? like yeah <laughs> no I'm good yeah I'm <laughs> yeah. good I'm, I'm, and, I, <laughs> and I'm also cute yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. It's like I want to be seen and I want to be talented because I'm talented, not just because I have a disability and I'm talented, you know. Uh, yeah, it's and there's a fine line also of being like, hey, I have a disability. You should let me in the door because I don't see anyone else like me in your space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. I want to be in your space so that other people coming to the show or coming to your theater or whatever can see themselves represented. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the concept of those of us performing on stage might be seen as an inspiration only mm-hmm. instead of being valued for our art in its own right? It's uh, the worst. <laughs> I hate it. It's something that cause I don't like being, I mean, it's partly like a, a little bit of just like my personal, I don't like being seen as like weak. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like anytime the word inspiration is thrown out there, they're like, look at you achieving despite the fact that you're less than. Like, mm-hmm. that's how it sounds to me. Sure. And I don't think anyone ever says it meaning that. No. But there is like, you know, some subconscious, like little microaggressions there, you know? Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's rough. And, but I, there are other times, and I feel like usually it comes from people who have similar struggles when they say something like, uh, you know, you inspired me to like, do this like that's awesome you know yeah. that feels really good because I'm yep. like do you get it you know like I trust where it's coming from yes. in your brain you know yeah you trust that it's not condescending that yeah. it's actual genuine inspiration yeah. not inspiration mixed with a little condescension and separatist yeah. yes I think that's what it when it feels separate to me is if the person doesn't relate to me but they're seeing me as this like entity to inspire or be inspiring mm-hmm. it feels empty there's like a tone in voice sometimes too mm-hmm. that it like gives Aww. away a lot yeah it's Aww, like you're uh, so good yeah it's like an aural pat on the head yes. like yeah <laughs> I worked at a pre-kindergarten for a while and one of the moms patted me on the head while I was kneeling down putting things away no. and was like you have a good day and patted me on the head and I was like gosh I've Never felt so small and oh, filled with awful. rage all at yeah. once. But it's that similar mm-hmm. feeling of like, yeah, you're making yourself feel better somehow mm-hmm. by telling me I did a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I don't need it. Yeah. Write, write a review or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would much rather someone come up and be like, you should work on your timing or something. You yes, know what I mean? That would be right? so much better. That would be better. You'd yeah. be good if you could do this. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the things that I often find is a side effect of my chronic pain is brain fog. Forgetting what I'm about to say or questions. There are numerous times where I've been on stage and I legit just forget what I'm supposed to do. I had a show a couple weeks ago and I forgot the name of the server 
who I had just spoken to, and then I was like, and tip your server. Um, have you ever experienced brain fog on stage, or how do you manage that in a performance arena? Yeah, definitely. It's I, it's a problem in stand-up, I think, because it, it's you know, like monologuing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think actually when I did the Who Dish show, I had a paper with me, and I made a joke about like a I can't remember shit. Like, <laughs> like I tend to keep like bullet points on me because I will get, especially if I like get on a tangent, oh, you know, yeah. like someone reacts to something. So I like riff on it for a second and then my brain will just be like, and we're done. That's it. Yeah. That's all that was in there. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing left. It's the worst. It's definitely like worse on days where pain is worse. And mm-hmm. I had a problem with it. Like I just finished uh, You're in Town, the musical. Yeah. And on our, thankfully it was just our soft opening, but uh, I know my lines super well it was like not a problem but Mm -hmm. i got to like mid-sentence talking to another character and it's like my brain just turned off it was just like oh yeah we're done and i was like i really hope they just say their next line because nothing nothing is in my head right now no it's a wild experience and for me i think it's because there's so much going on inside my body like i'm i'm receiving and processing so many like pain messages or sensation messages or just bodily function you know things are happening and sorting itself out that I am trying to be so present and in the moment that, yeah, it's just all of a sudden it's like I miss a minute, you yeah. know, a moment or I've a second. I've noticed I have like uh, my skin itches all the time, like mm-hmm. all of my skin. It's just like because of inflammation. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed when my brain shuts off, like the itching does. So I feel wow. like there might even be like science there that's like. Your brain is just like, hold on, we're turning everything off for a second so that we can, like, regulate. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything, if I have anything one eye. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an interesting study. Like, what when when someone experiences an episode of brain fog, what else are they suddenly aware of, you know? Mm -hmm. I think I don't notice sounds. Like, it takes me a minute to be aware that I've lost time, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. The first few times it happened, I was like... Like, did I just have like a mini seizure? Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. it, it's truly, it's like total disconnect. This is embarrassing. I've had chronic headaches since I was like little. They thought maybe I was having separation anxiety from my parents or that it had something to do with the surgeries that I had as a kid. But I think my migraine started when I was in like third grade or whatnot. But I will uh, check my face every day for strokes. <laughs> and it's a weird thing that like when I'm like getting ready in the morning, I'll just smile to be like, did I have a stroke because these headaches can be so intense and they feel so different all the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just it makes it makes me wonder or worry about something bigger and then Did I just I go okay that? I'm fine I have the same like where I have olfactory hallucinations so like well, I hallucinate yeah. smells yeah so I'm always like the same thing I'm like what if it's toast and I'm yeah. not actually having a stroke uh, yes. but it smells like I'm having a stroke <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I do that I smell gas all the time I do too really yeah, like, like gasoline mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I when I lived in this condo and my husband was traveling for work all the time and my neighbors I would I mean if you were to ask them about or if they happen to listen to this they will laugh because mm-hmm. I probably once a week I'd go over and be like do you smell gas <laughs> I smell gas and they're like I don't know Liz I don't smell gas I'd be like okay okay we're okay <laughs> That's so funny. And then the next week, do you smell gas? I think I smell gas. It's like burnt chocolate for me a lot, really? too. Interesting. Yeah. I'm always like, I'll go be like, are you guys cooking in here? And my roommates are like, Whoa. no. <laughs> That's so interesting. Have you been to River North? Yeah, I know. I know there is a place. Factory. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it smells like, except I'll just be like in my house and I'll be like, oh. Oh. 
Invisible chocolate. Yeah, yeah. that's so fun. That's so fun. <laughs> what a fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I really I like the smell of like cooking chocolate, but yeah, yeah. no, it's not fun. It's super weird. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Just jarring. Out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. What are the roadblocks that you see for artists in general, but more specifically artists in your field with a similar condition? And what about those like you who aren't artists, like maybe someone who you know works at the CTA but is living with what you live with? I think I kind of already touched on it, but just sort of when you're chronically ill, not being able to predict when you're going to be available or healthy or like feeling well or even capable of like doing what you need to do. And I think in some ways it's a benefit to be in an artistic career because a lot of times commitments are shorter. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, okay, I just have to get through this like two hour improv gig and like I can go home and sleep. (laughs) Um, I had like a nine to five job for a month and was like, this is impossible. Sometimes I'll just have anxiety about the fact like, oh my gosh, there's people out there with my disease that like have to go to work every day and I don't know how they do it. Like it freaks me out thinking about it. And it's not even like that one eight hour day is so hard, but it's doing it five times in a row and then having only two days to recover. It's, it's impossible. And for that month, I didn't get to do anything else. Like any, oh, yeah. I mean, truly got home from work, fell asleep in my clothes until I woke up to go back to work. Like it was awful. And I think workplaces are super unsympathetic to it. Oh, yeah. And probably some of it is just like, you know, being tough and like yeah, it is yeah. intentional. <laughs> but I also think a lot of it is genuinely not understanding. And like you get labeled as a complainer so easily. Oh, like, yeah. So easily. Like I called Unreliable. in twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I called in twice um, and like got called into my boss's office to talk about if you call in again, like you're fired. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I have to quit then. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. I don't like doing it. No. But it's it's just like not avoidable if I yeah. get up and like, I mean, there are days I get up and like my feet are so swollen I can't put shoes on. So mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You're you like, know, That's a, I'm coming in in slippers. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Um, I really feel for people who have to work like nine to fives. I don't. It's incomprehensible to me. (laughs) I just recently tried to get a new job and found that my body just flipped out. It was I couldn't walk that one day. I had to go twice this last week to the doctor. And finally, I sent them an email and just said, this isn't working. I can't. I want to, but I can't. And, And it's a constant reality and struggle where I'll I'll be like, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm, I can get a job now. I feel mm-hmm. like I can get a job now. Yes. And then I start working and then my body goes, what are we doing? Yeah. And I realize I don't have the physical stamina or endurance to do job and this work. Yep. And so luckily I'm in a position right now where I get to choose to do this work and I can, you know, I have support and that way my life is set up where it works. But yeah, it's hard for me sometimes to think about people out there having to go nine to five and then sleeping. You know, they sleep all night long until they have to get up in the morning again. I feel guilt about it, too, because like you said, you'll have periods where you're like, no, I'm good. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel great. I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to have fun. Maybe I'll have a beer afterwards. (laughs) And then I'll be like, "Okay, well, if I can do that, I need to work. And then I'll try to work and it'll destroy me. Like, you know, I've like had to stay in the hospital for a week because I overworked myself. Mm -hmm. But it's this weird, like, when you're feeling good, you feel guilt. And when you feel, yeah, I think 
that I think that's huge, that guilt of, of feeling like if I can do all of these things, if I can go out and do these shows, if I can get up and I can write during the day and I have energy to do that and take care and manage all of these things, then I should have a job and I should be doing that and mm-hmm. I should be contributing to my household and my society and my world in that way. But the reality is I can't do both. Mm-hmm. I just can't have no. both. So if I were to have a nine to five job, I would have to give up performance and comedy because my body can't do it. It just can't do it all. And like life, too, you know, like Mm -hmm. people like healthy people get to, you know, go to their nine to five and then go out. Right. With their friends afterwards. Yes. And like, that is not an option. Jerks. I know. Ugh, <laughs> the worst. I know. <laughs> but that's totally not an option when you're no. like that sick. It's literally like your life becomes work. That's mm-hmm. it. Just well, that. Well, it's that uh, the spoon theory mm-hmm. or the uh, well, I have one therapist that calls it the envelope of energy. I don't know why she can't just call it That's the spoon funny. theory, but she has her own <laughs> envelope of energy. The spoon theory is a philosophy about all of us having so many spoons if, for people who don't know. And we uh, can use a spoon for a certain activity. We wash the dishes and that's a spoon. We go for a walk and that's another spoon. Maybe we go out for a night and that's four spoons. Then we wake up the next day and we only have one left, but we have a full day of work to get to. So then we start borrowing spoons from the next day and the day after that until we run out and we're in a huge spoon deficit. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just there's more planning and strategy that goes into someone's life when you have a chronic condition to manage your day to day and to make sure that you can meet your commitments but also take care of yourself mm-hmm. so that you can meet the next commitment yep. and it's exhausting yeah, it really is yeah <laughs> like i did uh three shows this weekend musicals so like sure. two hour shows and i literally like they they all after the show was over they're like oh we're gonna go drinking and i was mm-hmm. like yeah i have to i have to go home and sleep or i'm yeah. not gonna be able to do the show tomorrow yeah like, <laughs> right you miss out you know you miss out you get to have that experience with them and so you get that and that's beautiful and lovely and amazing mm-hmm. but then there's a uh, price sometimes mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part that makes me feel sad. Yeah. Kind of talking about that sadness. <laughs> speaking of sadness. Yeah, speaking of sadness. <laughs> what's your relationship with failure? This is a question I'm going to ask all of the comedians, especially, that join us on the podcast because failure is such a big part of comedy, of trying and failing. And how did you get comfortable with failing on stage? I feel like... I don't, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I feel like I've, <laughs> I I haven't really had that oh, much damn. trouble with it. <laughs> I think that's like, you're not allowed to say that if you're a stand-up. Oh my gosh, no, of course. But I don't know. I I, I love how big you're smiling right now. <laughs> you should be proud of that, that you it's, feel like I you have I think it's like a cool, positive thing. I think it makes me better at stand-up because when like you have to fail, like you're going to fail mm-hmm. probably more often than you succeed. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think it's like funny when mm-hmm. I go up and I like tell a joke and pause for laughter and it's silent. Like mm-hmm. I'll start cracking up because right. I'm like, to me, that's the funniest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I feel like most of the jokes that I write that I like love, like no one else likes. Really? And I'll say something and I'll think like this is just to fill time and it will kill. And like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, maybe that's why I have such an easy time with it. Cause mm-hmm. like the, like I just know that like the things that I think are going to be amazing, like 
no one's going to like. And it cracks me up because oh, I'm like, yeah. what is my brain? Like, yeah. why is this so funny to me? And no other human on earth thinks it's funny. Well, I think it's all about that moment. Like what you do when you realize that you failed or that something <laughs> flopped and you laugh or you yeah. enjoy that moment. Yeah. I usually try to learn from that moment of like, was I trying too hard, at least in improv, I'll think maybe sure. I was pushing too hard or I was forcing something and that's why it didn't land and I wasn't being authentic or genuine. So mm-hmm. I'll like pick it apart, you know, mm-hmm. but I like it. I think it's like the failure that teaches us that one, we're trying, you know, we're trying things and two, our relationship to that moment. Like I've never gotten mad at myself for something not working it's more like oh this isn't this is an opportunity i could probably stand to be more introspective about it yeah or maybe not it seems like you're doing really well it works (laughs) but i feel like definitely there's probably things i could learn from it but instead i'm just like that's dumb i'm funny and you don't get it (laughs) i love that attitude i'm just funny and you don't understand is this is a you problem (laughs) everyone else is wrong i like that i really like that sometimes you have to just live that way okay and then uh, what advice do you have for an emerging comedian in your field? What's something that you learned? Was it obvious or did it take a lot of, of work? What's one piece of Ooh. Morgan advice? Ooh. Be introspective so you can answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think it was a cool moment for me when I realized that everyone else is also like super nervous to do it mm-hmm. like if that makes sense i tend to think i'm like the only person in the world who has anxiety about things sure I'm like why can't i just do it everyone's yeah. doing Everybody it and i can't do it, it. yeah mm-hmm. but uh truly everyone is clenching their butt when they walk on stage mm-hmm. so i don't know if you can learn to like like that feeling i think like it, you can kind of like get yourself to like crave it like it's a yeah. little like i want to be scared you know totally yeah <laughs> so i think embracing the uh fear that comes with performing is super helpful and probably healthy i i would think mm-hmm. you know yeah because I, I have a therapist that says like the problem is never your feelings it's resisting them mm-hmm. and i think that's really accurate like if you just allow yourself to like accept that you feel away like think yeah. it's a lot easier to cope with than if you're like i have to try not to be I anxious don't wanna, yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah i think those are my most favorite moments when i feel anxious or scared or nervous because it reminds me that i care mm-hmm. that i'm doing something i haven't yet done before and that i'm pushing myself or that you know i'm i'm breaking through something because it's all good well to go up there and be comfortable and be like I'm great and blah 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 and here I am performing Mm -hmm. night after night but when I'm nervous then I'm like oh this has stakes Mm -hmm. this feels important I a little bit feel like I perform better when I'm a little Mm -hmm. nervous too like if I'm really comfortable I'm I don't know you just kind of like sit into it and it doesn't read as well Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense cool I like it (laughs) so embrace embrace the nerves and the Mm -hmm. anxiety which artist or comedian or performer would you take out for dinner? Where would you go and why? Ooh. Why that person? I feel like if my friends listen to this, they already know what comedian I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And that is making me giggle. Ah. Um, <laughs> Bill Hader. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with him. Dancing Bill Hader is the only thing showing up in my Instagram right now. And I keep so I keep trying to get away from it. And it's right Why back of the do like, it's all it's all Instagram things I wanna see. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um where would I take Bill Hader? Yeah, where would you take Bill Hader? 
What like what would you eat? Oh, a fancy dinner, hot dogs. No, yeah, nothing fancy. Definitely just like like sandwiches and uh-huh. not at a restaurant, just like yeah. on a bench. Cool. That sounds ideal. Would you make the sandwiches or would you go to like yeah. Quiznos? No, no, I'll just make a sandwich real make quick. Sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I like it. What do you like about Bill Hader? <laughs> I his brand of comedy is so it tries like the least out of like anyone I can think of. Like he he just like is and it's funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say that. Like it's it's very relaxed, which f- I think he would probably disagree with me because he talks about like how bad his anxiety is sure. and like how if you watch him, he like jogs into every scene on SNL because mm-hmm. somebody was pushing him because he yeah. wouldn't walk out. Like, <laughs> but it seems so. It's just like. I don't know. It's very understated. Yeah, it seems effortless and genuine, mm-hmm. like authentically uh, him. Yes. Yeah, there's a style and a thread that I think passes through all of his work. Yeah, and I think to have got been successful as quickly as he was, too, because if you like, he didn't do it for very long before no. being on SNL. Yeah. Like, it, he uh, just is funny. Yeah. Yeah. He is funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy your sandwiches with Bill Hader. Thank you so much. I think I hadn't really thought about it, but I should try to tag all of these celebrities when we put these out there. And then maybe you and Bill yeah. Hader can have sandwiches Bill, someday. please. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a really lovely conversation. Yeah. I enjoyed chatting with you. I feel like we can relate to one another with the experience of chronic pain and all of that. And if you ever want to check it out, the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab Center was yeah. amazing. I'm going to go Google it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Morgan. Yeah. I had such a great time talking to Morgan today. They are a really talented comedian and performer. I think that they're someone that you definitely want to check out. So go ahead and follow them on Instagram at Morgan Van Dyne. That's M-O-R-G-A-N-V-A-N-D-Y-N-E. And go see one of their shows. I think that you as a listener will benefit. Thanks for listening. The Who Dish Show is hosted by Liz Comos and produced by me, Jack Matthews. If you'd like to support The Who Dish Show, you can tell a friend or leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. When using social media, feel free to use the hashtag WhoDis. For more information on The Who Dish Show, including upcoming live shows, we're on Facebook, Twitter at The Who Dish Show, Instagram at Who Dish Show, or on the web at WhoDishShow.com. That's W-H-O-D-I-S-S-H-O-W. This episode was recorded at the I.O. Theater. The I.O. Theater is home to Chicago's best improv comedy with shows seven nights a week. They offer classes in improv, writing, and more. Visit ioimprov.com for a full schedule.